Hello and welcome to What We've Learned, a podcast we, where we discuss what we've learned, what we've seen and what we've observed in the last few days in our world of marketing, but also in the wider world of business. Who's the we? Well, it's myself, Steve Kemish, and it's my long-term friend and industry peer, Shane Redding. Shane and I are here to talk about a few topics, and Shane's going to lead us off with the first one. So, Shane, hello. Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm okay, and I think uh, the important thing to kick off with this is that this is because this is all a very brave new world for us, or not such a brave world. Um, and really what we want to share on this podcast is the things that we're learning through this crisis. And also we really hope that people will join the conversation um, with their tips, hints, learnings, and particularly the challenges they face. Because I think um, for all of us in isolation at the moment, it's helping each other. And that's very much going to be the theme of this podcast going forwards and we're going to start off by having a bit of a chat about the importance of strategic and contingency planning. Good topic yes very relevant topic always but certainly now yeah and a nice point around that that help we, we'll kick off this discussion but as we go any input from others and we've put this onto SoundCloud where you can leave comments but particularly on LinkedIn if you've got anything to share around what we've discussed we'd be really happy to hear. Okay then, so what's the week been like for you Shane? What have you thought from a strategic and contingency planning point of view? I think firstly it's been incredibly busy and I think that's really interesting because people are having to react so fast to basically daily changing situations. So in terms of the strategic planning a lot of it is obviously around contingency planning um, and what I've seen it doesn't matter whether it's a small business or it's a large corporate, is just how critical excellent leadership is. Mm. Um, and I think that's really come across more than anything and actually what that means. And I'd be interesting from your point of view, Steve, because I know within your business, you have a team and those learnings and how, how are you leading the team? Yeah, so I, it's funny, actually, just listening to what you've been saying, I think you've got to have that contingency, but it's just, it's so rapid fire. Um, it almost feels like, and we've talked about this before separately, agile business and agile marketing, which is an easily used term. But my goodness, if ever there's been a need to be agile and to make quick and, and strong decisions, it's now. I mean, for us at Junction as a marketing agency, it's actually business as usual to the greater or lesser extent. Um, the technology that's out there to allow collaboration that we've been using for quite a long time, so six years old and probably worked um, collaboratively in this way for most of that time. However, uh, you know, the, the, the human angle, of course, is many of the team are uh, husbands or wives or particularly parents, and therefore it's juggling. And I think this is the thing that a lot of organizations, of course, are trying to not just think about that leadership of what it means for the team of employees to keep the wheels of business turning, but also to be a decent human being and recognise where productivity might have to change because of uh, families and other commitments and other concerns. Um, I don't think I've seen that any more apparently in the relaxed nature of using Zoom and it being OK at last that if a child wanders into the background or somebody makes a noise, that it's not the most uh, heinous crime ever. We've become a lot more relaxed because of this rapid change that we're seeing. I think that's absolutely right. I think that empathy um, in the way that we deal with each other is really important. And that doesn't matter whether that's internal employee communications, whether it's with external colleagues. I did my first ever 
uh, Zoom pitch completely remote, in fact, wow. to a possible client in Switzerland. Um, and it was really interesting because I just think everybody wants it to work and there's a lot of goodwill there. Uh, to try and get you know people using the new technology feeling relaxed with it but there's no doubt about it it leading remote teams is hugely challenging uh, and you're lucky you know you've got experience I've had experience with both my training and my consulting doing it remotely but we're all learning we're learning new stuff every day and I think that it's sharing those tips that I think is really important so as you say first one you know just relax everybody mm. everybody has different problems to overcome and I saw a fantastic tweet which I might actually share later on the LinkedIn comments from a CEO basically saying the most important thing to me is my employees and their family's health and safety and I thought that just summed it up brilliantly yeah, that's so important. I mean, we always talk about culture coming from the top, but never is. And I, I wrote something on LinkedIn, a very small piece on this last week about um, we talk about customer experience. But what about employee experience? I think you're really going to understand as an employee, your boss and the leaders in your organization at a moment like this as to whether they genuinely have your interests at heart uh, or indeed maybe they, you know, do they run for the hills versus actually just try and help out and, and behave like a human in the ranks, which is so important. I agree. And I think whatever size business you are, I mean, obviously, very large organisations have contingency plans, disaster planning, but even they're finding that those plans, I won't quite say rip them up, but there are big holes in them. And what you need is you need your staff to step up and basically take responsibility and ownership and people really want to do that they want to do the right thing okay we're not all like the heroes on the front line of the NHS and, and other critical services but what was interesting to me I was on a, a call earlier um, with Scott from IBM and he said you know the realization for them at IBM is their technology is being used by the frontline companies so it is critical mm -hmm. and I think you know that's really interesting thing to reflect on in marketing and in b2b it might not be immediately for us but somewhere down the people we work with and our customers and their customers customers there's critical stuff going on yeah, I think it's 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 a it's a really interesting point that um, where do you draw the line? Even as a parent, there's been discussion around uh, whose jobs are critical and therefore can they send the kids to school? And I think that's it is about those clear NHS and other key workers. Let's not get mixed up, mixed up in that. And as I talked to you about previously, one of my real concerns with a lot of the marketing communication, if we bring it back to that, is some organisations are really doing the right thing in introspectively with their employees but out there as well to potential um, customers and you know we're b2b in the main and that's all about generating leads and keeping salespeople happy that's still a challenge now um, but you can't go out and be what i would call an ambulance chaser going out with messaging that's so clearly designed to try and angle a sale just very inappropriate and i think that can be a much larger harm for a business is that the other piece to this leadership is not just making quick effective decisions it's also thinking about that balance of we need short-term business but how do we do the right thing by our audience that means we build a longer term or at least keep those longer term relationships going particularly with customers as well which I think maybe missed and, and you made this point to me the other day around retention and how important that is. I think there's so many 
great points there. I think the the fact that it is so difficult and the trading situation is difficult for many companies, actually communicating what you're doing to your staff in effect to keep the lights on. And the most important thing at the moment um, for any company is cash flow, uh, particularly if you're small, you know, and what are you doing to that? Employees are very worried about their, their jobs, particularly here in the UK, because um, the government's introduced this furlough scheme, which is fantastic, but you've got to get it right. Um, so they want to know, you know, the implications for them. Be very interested from some of our colleagues and friends around the world to share their experiences of how their governments are handling that. But really, in terms of business strategy, you've got this immediate need to keep the lights on. You know, it is always cash is king. And that has to come first for any board. And that's been taking up quite a lot of my time this week. And then the second and I think this is really interesting to reflect on it now as, as we sort of go into this is capacity planning for some organisations is the most important thing. They are completely overloaded. I mean, we all know it from the online shopping point of view, but they're not the only ones. No, I think you're right. I think it's an interesting point around how how those organisations that are at capacity differentiate as well. So uh, what are the lessons that any business can learn from how companies are handling that? And one of the things we wanted to talk about today is who's doing who's doing a good job of this? Uh, anyone you've observed, particularly when it comes to differentiating in that capacity, rather than head down, just get on with it, is also keeping their eye open on how to communicate and to be wise, to use data, things like that to help the cause. I think that's a great question, Steve. And I think this is where marketing can really help. I was super impressed. I mean, there's obviously the battle of the retail wars going in a very funny way, which is about, you know, managing um, the demand and the communications from the chief execs. They're all doing a good job. All of the supermarkets, the one that stands out for me is Sainsbury's. I think they are really setting the tone and they're the only one that's come across to me as being data led. They were the first supermarket to actually make online slots available to their known vulnerable and elderly customers using the data. But the letter that the chief digital officer sent out was very sensitive to how they'd done this. And then obviously, that went viral. And then the chief exec had to follow up to say, yeah, we're going to try and give everybody in this category um, priority. We don't have the data. Um, we've appealed to the government to share that data so we can open that up. Um, basically using data for the good. And I think this could well change the conversation in the future about how data is used. Yeah, it's a good point. And I was on the other end of that from a point of view of trying to book a click and collect slot with Sainsbury's and being told as I went through that as I logged in, we've recognised that you are not a priority based on your data, which may seem a little bit cold, but in this circumstance is exactly the right thing to do. And I think 99.9% .9 of reasonable humans would understand that. And then 99.9% .9 of marketeers and data people will say, wow, what a great use, as you say, of, of effective, positive data, rather than the last few years of stories of, of woe and worry about where data is being used. Um, I think that then boils back, Shane, to just doing the right thing. So that yeah. leadership point of just being a good human being, it's really easy to say, but actually Sainsbury's are trying to do the right thing by their customers, by, by the wider world, and indeed their employees as well. Um, and actually, I think for me, that's where... I've spotted some interesting 
differences in markets. So my background and where we work quite a lot is in education and technology and education and certain brands in there have seen not the chance to sell, although depressingly, one of the leaders in that market I was looking at earlier just for research sake, their answer to this is 50% off if you buy our product now, whereas others in that market are just saying, look, have our products. In fact, better than that, we've been really rapidly back to that agile approach, creating assets that can help you and their target market is schools, colleges, universities. But they've also said, here are some things for parents you know back to my point around my my team and 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 others that are parents the struggle is how does one balance the work commitment we've still got with making sure we're we're now a home teacher as well so what really struck me about that and brands not just small ones so creative hut who are a small startup in that space really smart use of video as well to just do daily almost the joe wicks of education if you will um, but discovery education, part of the Discovery Channel network, big organization can prove that you can make rapid change and say, look, let's bring down paywalls. Let's get people into the product. And by the way, if you do that, they start to use the product. What's the likelihood of them continuing to use that product when this chaos and this crisis is over? It's very strong. And that could be another learning, I think, is forget these trials and forget putting people on um, short term payment options roll the product out roll the opportunity out and see if in the long term it pays back brave thing to say because we've got to feed uh, as you said cash flow is king but maybe that long term that the good will out so to speak I, I love that and I think that's I won't say a luxury but perhaps it is a luxury that those who've got the deep pockets can do that or they're there for the public good I, I completely agree things like the BBC are doing in terms of making re more resources available the fact that museums have opened their virtual galleries for free really helpful but they're in the world of public good that's their you know that's very much heart of their brand for other organizations that are used to quarterly sales forecasts and having to deliver a certain number of leads and demand generation that's really tough where do you go and I think to your point you've that explanation that needs to come from the marketing team about linking the fact it's going to be about being around for the long term is so important and it's about as you say starting with your customers and doing the right thing by them because there is demand amongst customers in certain sectors and I think the marketers have got to be on the front foot communicating this to the board helping them see where those opportunities are as you say not ambulance chasing not sending out thousands of emails but really being really smart about this hard though yeah I, well, I don't think it's just marketing as well I think the opportunity theoretically is to rethink the use of other resources so if you've got salespeople that typically would have been on the road or on calls they can't do that now because the people they would have been meeting and talking to may not be as visible so where can we apply that resource to help out so is there a chance for sales people to get into things like social selling to get into things like research i.e where are the verticals that seem to be a market we'd never thought of before i don't know if you've seen any of that coming out in the last few days that's that's a brilliant spot because actually I was on a call with the B2B DMA council and it's a group of peers where we basically support the work that the DMA does uh, and we use each other as sounding boards and we had a really great helpful call this morning and that was one of the top topics that came out from about four different people was that actually this recognition 
that it's been a challenge for a long time for those with physical salespeople and it's getting harder that world but oh my goodness overnight their world has changed so how do you pivot them not to be necessarily social sellers because as we said we don't want ambulance chasers but people who perhaps are not comfortable because their environment has been a physical event or it's been going and meeting the client in their office how do you give them the skills to meet at and basically create those relationships virtually so funny you say that because i've actually had to do three proposals this week for exactly that topic wow okay well that's really reassuring in terms of uh, funny enough actually in the social selling bit and you know my bugbear on this it's the same as yours is is a terrible name for a great idea um is that it's not about getting onto the internet sending a few tweets and selling stuff it is much more about social engagement, social relationship building, which in a lot of the markets that I operate and, and your background is where it's not a quick sale. Um, this strikes me as a really obvious way to keep salespeople not just busy because busy is easy, but productive busy is the really important thing for them to do where they can strengthen relationships by using the fact that, you know, I've not seen and this is something I want to look at in the next week or two is data around you know, how much more has LinkedIn been used, for example, in the last week or the last couple of weeks because of people being captive audience to it. Um, so that give them the confidence, as you say, and the skills through that training. The other bit is, of course, is feed them with the right ammunition. And this is back to marketing, marketing again and an area that we've been spending time on in the last couple of weeks with clients is making sure that there's enough good content out there for, for the marketing campaigns where they can run but then pivot it into sales. Give the salespeople useful, relevant, interesting stuff to share so that they can at least keep uh, relationships going, even if they can't keep lead generation going. I think that's such an important point. And for those listening that are from the agency point of view, this is your opportunity. This is where the skills lie to help marketing teams take what they've got, which is perhaps not really suitable and fit for purpose in the way it's going to be used now and chunk it and change it up and make something much more exciting and compelling. And I know, you know, you've been doing it for a long time, Steve, but that's, I think, very exciting. And we should see a new way of working coming out of this. And the fact that there's, we're so lucky in the UK and in Europe with great agencies who can do this. Um, so, yeah, I'd really advise anybody looking for help on that to look externally. I think it's a great tip. Well, I think the other, and this is not with my agency hat on, but I think this is the opportunity for clients. And what I've seen from other agency leads uh, which is really positive and I, I believe because I know the characters they're offering up free help free advice because there is more time perhaps than the core day-to-day -day. less meetings less pitches is look if you just need a chat and I think this is a thing we can all do more of as long as it's done on the right levels that it is just a genuine value add is you know agency leads specialists that can just help these clients say in the example of what you've just given um, actually one of the things we've found really quickly through content is a lot of marketing content is, of course, centered on a different uh, part of the conversation, salespeople. So the gap is, well, the sales enablement assets that they need, which a few weeks ago would have been a really down hot sales presentation PowerPoint, is now bite sized stuff that if they do have a chat via LinkedIn or some kind of messenger or Zoom or the other, my goodness, I wish I'd have bought shares in Zoom, by the way, in the last few weeks. Um, those kind of technologies that actually, they just need bite-sized presentations that are fit for purpose. 
So I think there's a lot of advice that the kind of wisdom of crowds can and will offer, which is back to your point again, on a humanity level, it's really, really nice to see that people are trying to pull together. Um, people that may have been competitive or aloof to one another are just trying to muck in, which is, you know, the more of that, the better, I say. I, I think so. I, and I also would urge caution in terms of thinking, oh, great, brave new world. What, are, what all our customers want is um, free training on Zoom in terms of us offering assets out there and I my experience is that actually there's a complete overload and everybody I don't know how many you've done this week is is getting to a sort of fatigue very quickly um, on doing lots of video calls and actually managing that so I think we've got to be very cautious in the way we use this new media and it's whether it's emails we're sending out too many do our unsubscribe rates bounce up high you know we get people unsubscribing and I think that's a topic for another another day but also exactly the same on don't just go right everybody we're going to jump we're going to do webinars for our clients because oh my goodness already there's so much out there yeah I mean this is the classic everybody's on Facebook we should be on Facebook or everybody's on LinkedIn we should be on LinkedIn as we can we can rush to the party and saturate it so it's about recognizing uh, the right time to use these things for sure i think your point about email um, is and it's an interesting hypothesis will we see things like unsubscribe spike counter to that and i think it will just be the data that argues this one for us will we find more engagement because people who haven't got meetings that typically would delete communication because they haven't got time but might have interest it might be the reverse um, i think the, the thing for me that i'm interested in in the next few weeks is will send time change so best practice to send out communication, whether it's your emails and other uh, social media posts, etc. I suspect that will change because our working patterns are changing so considerably as well. Uh, and you actually you alluded to this something when we met a while back around how you think the channels might change. So I'm sure you mentioned radio and, and areas like that that might have traditionally not been the heartland of B2B markets to perhaps be a consideration. What were you think? What was your thinking on that? Absolutely, because I think, you know, we can take lessons um, from those who've been in that those markets before. SMEs, traditionally, much more consumer media. So I think we'll see a spike in TV, radio, and obviously, you know, fantastic programmatic into the digital space, be it Facebook or uh, whatever, is already happening. The government's doing it. I mean, if you go on to any article about uh, the virus, the government is targeting its ads brilliantly with the wash your hands safe message. So we can learn a lot from that. What is helpful to our audience, I think, has got to come first is, you know, what are they worried about? Um, what do they need and how can we help them? It's about that. And then looking where are they? As you say, the whole world of working at home, our media consumption is completely different. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I bang on about this all the time. Helpful sells. No more so than now that if you can find the time, whether it's that free advice, whether it's on a webinar, via email, whatever the means to just get under the skin of what are the concerns of those customers, as you said, we mustn't miss. Although markets are so greedy often for lead generation and acquisition, our customers are never more important. Get under the skin of how can we adapt? How can we help and help, as I said, I think is a long term sales strategy for sure. Yeah, um, I had a lovely. Just changing the. Go on, Shane. Sorry. It's all right. I had a lovely expression this morning. It's sort of COVID now, 
COVID in the future, you know, planning for both. And I think that's the way we need to be thinking about, you know, our new world and, and what we do now and also thinking ahead. And I think I heard something very important, which is true, is that businesses and behaviours that pivot today may never come back. They may be completely different. I mean, we're already seeing and we were already moving into a cashless society. But boy, has that accelerated through this. Yeah, well, I was going to go on to ask, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Who's winning out there? Where are the industries where we are just by nature of this change seeing huge growth? Obviously, I've already mentioned government. Government is releasing loads of spend on different things. Um, that's going to be here to carry us through both um the pandemic crisis, but also the economic crisis that is here now. Technology's clear winner, um, but perhaps not all of them. Perhaps we'll really focus on what helps us. Old-fashioned call centres, you know, let's face it, they are really inundated. There's just not the capacity. So things like chat, somebody else said, um, and this was uh, Brian Foss, he said, lawyers, lawyers are very busy. And boy, is he right? Because if you want to check your rent um, and your landlord clause or your force majeure for cancelling an event, uh, you're going to your lawyers. And particularly if they're well set up for working remotely. I really like that one. Mm. Delivery businesses, logistics, you know, we can go on and on. There are so yeah, many yeah. sectors. Well, that's I mean, we could go on and on. And I think that's the thing to not dismiss. And, and why we wanted to start this was just We've actually got a bit of time to do it. This isn't doom and gloom. This is what this podcast was about. It was about there are an awful lot of ups for a lot of industries because of that, as you say, that change in direction. You know, a friend of mine, for example, a neighbour, he works in secondhand van sales. He's a manager in that in an organisation in that space. They've never been busier because of home deliveries versus um, uh, retail shopping in the traditional way. The demand for those products has gone through the roof. They can't actually find enough inventory to keep up with demand. So it isn't all doom and gloom for sure. It is just a, a change of direction in, in a lot of ways. The interesting bit will be, as you said, how much of it will we default back to? How much have we got muscle memory on our behaviours, uh, whether that's as humans, but particularly with, with our, you know, our hats on with marketing and sales, will we just go back to those older school? And by old school, I mean a month ago, ways that we would try and lead, generate and work on prospecting. Or will we see this as a chance to, to drop a lot of the stuff in the past that perhaps we just didn't need to do. That's really interesting. So what do you think, what else will we drop, Steve? Uh, well, interesting. I think the, the the number of face-to-face meetings, so particularly marketing for me, having worked a lot on lead generation programs, and as, as anyone listening in that's in that space knows, the pain of generating leads that are sales accepted, marketing qualified to sales accepted leads. I think the requirement for that to be I, I don't want to talk to them until I, you know, I don't want to qualify them until I've met them. Well, the world has, has meant that, although, as you rightly said, it's not all about just using Zoom as much as possible, but I think people will be more comfortable with virtual first meetings. So that will take that requirement out. And dare I say it, although it's an industry I love dearly and I see a lot of value in, events, you know, the idea that we must always default to an event or a trade show, which a lot of the clients I've worked with over the years have always done, clearly they can't do it. So will that mean that those events will carry on or perhaps they'll have to innovate and think about, as some companies are, how do you deliver the same experience but create virtual events? And if you do that, does that suddenly open up a much wider world to you because you've got no geography constraints like you might have 
in the world where you physically host an event? Two massive points there I mean events you ask you know the whole point of this have we spent our week I would say that's probably about 80% of my week has been talking to clients who have got physical events that have been cancelled and they're trying to transition them to digital and I think the point you made about experience is really important a digital event is going to be completely different to a physical event so how do you create that wow and I think companies putting effort into that it's interesting to hear um, Jason from the crocodile say they're already working on that about how do you create amazing digital CX because actually we're human beings and going to an event there is a, a need to mingle with our community we like it people go to those events there's a reason they do so how are we going to recreate some of those very human experiences and that's going to be really tough but with I think on average the stat is for b2b budget 65 percent of the budget is spent on physical events I don't think that's ever going to come back to that level no. And I think, you know, my friends uh, that I work with quite often, the Association of Event Organisers, AEO, who are front and centre on that, not only rightly are lobbying away to say, how is the government going to support that industry? But equally, there'll be a lot of thought and it will have already been going on because this has been a trend that's been coming for a while is what will the next trade show look like in? And I would have said 10 years ago, but it's going to be in 10 years time, but it's going to be two years time now, if not in six months because of this shift. Uh, and without being doom and gloom, I dare say that the, you know, the fear of traveling and spending time in close proximity with others will also make it easier to justify doing these virtual events because there will be, unfortunately, a hangover of, of worry that will this happen again? Um, not just at a personal level, but businesses and back to your point when we started around contingency planning is I suspect a lot of contingency plans and documents have had to rapidly change if they have at all to take into events like Corona that would have never been on the roadmap before. So I think it will accelerate that digital transformation uh, because of necessity, but also perhaps for the good as well. Yeah, I think it's going to accelerate other societal trends as well. I mean, there was a brilliant book, and I think it was written about, it may be longer than 10 years ago by um, Francis Carncrost, who was a writer for The Economist, and it was called The Death of Distance. And it's basically, it was about every generation that distance, global distances shrink as a geographer, past geographer, the sort of thing that really interests me. But we're here now because actually with this technology, and the fact that we're all looking for learnings from around the world as to how people, cultures, countries are learning from this experience, be it about the spread of disease or data. But I think we'll actively seek out and how are businesses coping with this? And in fact, that's already happened. Um, I had a, a, my first inquiry from New Zealand and I can't see that having happened a year ago. They've been too worried about time zones or whether you can make it work. But there's just an assumption now we'll make it work. Yeah. Uh, 1997, by the way, Shane. Oh, thank you. <laughs> there you are. You're welcome. Slightly over than 10 years, but still very relevant. Really good point in terms of how the world, funny enough, with air travel disappearing, uh, certainly in the short term, that the world is still a lot smaller than it was, which is an encouraging thing. Uh, so looking ahead, not necessarily so far ahead, what's the week got in store for you? What's coming next up for you? Where are you spending your time, do you think? 
in the coming uh, days? I absolutely know where I'm spending my time. I have, um, in the next 24 hours, got to become an expert user of Zoom for training because my face-to-face -face training, like you, that takes up a lot of time, of course, has all pivoted to be delivered online instead. Um, and uh, my 20-something-year-old children just laugh at the fact that um, you know, I am going to be grappling with technology and not necessarily an instant expert, but taking tips from people like you and others uh, who are already there and doing things like the whiteboarding and the functionality and the thumbs up. So uh, I should be doing lots of online tutorials to to make myself a better online and hopefully interactive trainer. So that's going to keep me quite busy for next week. Well, that's good to know. And I think, uh, to be honest, my learning on that, apart from the fact I've seen you speak many times before, um, you won't need to worry. It is about keeping the quality of the content rather than the medium. Uh, it is to keep it simple. Um, I learned this a long time ago, probably 20 years ago, I was asked to research WebEx and other tools for client side usage. And my conclusions quite quickly were you need to treat online training uh, or online meetings a little bit like TV production. If you're creating a TV show, Although I have no hands-on experience of it. It's bite-sized scripted chunks that mean you're not asking too much long-term uh, concentration of people. And although you're right, the technology's there for all these whizzy bits, to be honest, keep it simple, keep talking. Um, and uh, back to a point I made earlier, I think the brilliant thing that this change in working patterns has brought in the last couple of weeks is we're just so much more relaxed about somebody making a mistake with a webinar. I mean, particularly being British, it would be impossible to live down the fact that you might have accidentally pressed the wrong button on a webinar two months ago. But now people just see it as normal. And in fact, if you haven't got some kind of background noise, child running across the back of the scene, uh, as my wife experienced earlier when she was trying to record something and my daughter decided it'd be a great time to do some kind of performance dance behind her, which worked fantastically from a comedic point of view um, and the audience loved, but would have crippled that presenter a few, few weeks ago is we can just use the technology and continue to be human to human best we can. Anything else in your week ahead? Um, I think that I'll be doing hopefully a little bit more thinking because one of the worries is that I thought that there'd be more time. And mm. I have been really surprised. And I think this has been actually feedback from others I've been talking to that this working from home and all that extra time that we're supposed to have with no commuting and all the rest of it, we're just all working flat out. And I, I think that that's just for anybody else feeling a bit sort of like that. That is really common. And I need to find some space to think because the thinking is what's going to get us through this. And I'd really hope that people join the conversation um, and their challenges and their learnings because that will really help all of us. Yeah, good. And in fact, it's one of my tasks for the week ahead is when we next record this in the next week or so or over the next couple of episodes, I'd really like to get others involved. Um, we are in the UK and we can see things uh, at one angle, but there's others out there that we will be connected to and might listen to this that have got a completely different take because of where they are in the world. So that's on my task list. Alongside that, on that, I'm going to say what else is on your task list. Well, alongside that, I mean, just business as usual, we are really, really busy at Junction, which is great. It is a lot about um, that adaption, as I mentioned, from where we spend a lot of time creating content that might be more for marketing led is helping feed salespeople with useful stuff so that they can also um, keep busy and not busy for busy sake, but productive. Um, however, I think it's a really important tip is just knowing when to switch Zoom off. Um, it's a little bit like 
um, the early days of email, which it was that it was such a temptation to go in and check your email, particularly when you're just about to go to bed or do more than perhaps you should, is you've got to maintain that balance and be able to switch off, albeit a slightly different working pattern than perhaps we're used to. Yeah, I for one am very grateful and I know you make use of it too of the uh, recommended exercise break and getting outside and being able to walk in the park. It just get outside and uh, yes, hopefully well, feel the yeah. sunshine. I think it's an interesting one because I think it's a hard challenge. I mean, I've I learned this over the last four or five years of, of mixing my time between office and home that I am now and it's taken me that long to be comfortable with the fact that I might stop during a working day and go out for a run for half an hour, 45 minutes. A lot of people will have that temptation, but they need, again, back to maybe it's one of those points from the start where on leadership is is management encouraging and saying, look, it's okay to take a break in the middle of the day. Go out and play with your kids. Go out for that run or walk. Uh, and if it's anything like my village, where it's normally quiet in the week, I think everybody in the village has signed up to do Duke of Edinburgh in the last couple of weeks, Shane, just in terms of the amount of activity out there. People that wouldn't necessarily go out for a run are suddenly in all sorts of garish running gear. So I feel in good company on that front at last. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to close is that actually it is about all of us keeping healthy and that leaders can really encourage their teams to do that um, and makes a big difference to everybody. Does indeed. Good. Okay, Shane, let's leave it there. Thanks ever so much. I'll speak to you this time next week. Thanks, Steve. Yes, that'd be great. See you soon.